you've got different students coming out to you, you know, asking you for advice. What would you hope that they could do to get the most out of you? Did I retain knowledge and information if the information was spoon-fed to me? Or did I retain the knowledge and information if I struggled to come to the answer? My pet peeve is when they have no answer to a question or they look blankly at you and say, I don't know, what do I do? So I'll throw problems at students and I'll ask them a million and one questions and I'll try and guide them towards the appropriate or the most ideal answer. I would much rather you give me 101 wrong answers than look at me with a blank, a blank face. CBD Junkie Dental Podcast is about connecting with passionate Australian dentists who are improving themselves and have attended various CPD courses. My aim is to find out for you the best CPD courses around and what they did to help get them to where they are today. So you can consider doing it and becoming the best dentist you can be quicker. Um, Sounds like the best way to Sorry? <laughs> Sounds like you're at Toilet Ross right now. Yeah, actually. Um, so I, I I remember describing his clinic as uh, Dental Disneyland. <laughs> um, so, and, and Michael Frazes is a good example of that. He has so much freedom to do what he wants. Um, his, uh, you know, if you've seen, you know, Ride Global and, and uh, the content that he produces, that's uh, entirely due to the freedom that he's given. And it's not a special uh, privilege that he has over any of the other associates. We all have that freedom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, I mean, let's dive into that a little bit. So obviously you're, at, you're in Adelaide at this point, right? You're yeah. at a new practice that really aligns with your values and um, how you want to practice dentistry. You're yep. given it a perfect environment as well, where you've got the access to different mentors, great mentors. You've got right. different tools and equipment that you can access. So, you know, right. you're in dental Disneyland, right? So yep. how do you, cause obviously you can give someone all the tools and everything and the mentors, but you know, if they don't have the knowledge to apply it or use it, they can't, it's like, you know, they can't fully gain the, the benefits out of it. So are you going to training to, you know, further utilize these skills, you know, um, are you jumping into photography so then you can kind of develop it more? Uh, I mean, like I'm just throwing it out there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, most of the dentists uh, have their own uh, cameras um, and we all, uh, we're all open to kind of sharing equipment to an extent with each other um, and talking through our different equipments. I mean, Michael probably has the most uh, photography toys to play with. He's got a dental studio. <laughs> yeah, he does. Yeah, he, he's got the white backdrop and he's got two speed lights that are attached to his two soft boxes attached to the chairs and He's got a, yeah, he's, he's got a proper studio, basically. Um, but there's, there's that kind of, um, oh, sorry, uh, what was the question again? I, I know <laughs> I'm going to go with tangent. There's, it's guaranteed. My, my question is, you know, for, you're, you're in an environment where you've got the great mentors, you've got the great equipment, right? But sometimes you have to know how to use it to, to actually implement it. Are you picking up courses to, you know, help you utilize this to its fullest extent yes 
So, I mean, I recently signed up to the GDR um, Shabby Hunt's uh, photography course. Um, and I use that information as well as what I'm taught from Michael Frazis about clinical photography. Um, and um, again, Dustin, Michael, Wei, there's a couple of other uh, clinicians who are more senior to me whose photography is absolutely incredible. So constantly badgering them with nonstop questions, talking to, um, they have a really close relationship with Raina at Toothworks, um, uh, who's a dental technician, um, and talking to him about different uh, photography settings. That's absolutely, uh, you know, having that connection and um, having those uh, conversations allows for you to, again, uh, build more. Uh, the key point is there's, um, an opportunity to apply those, uh, to apply whatever you're being taught then and there on the spot. And the expectation is the moment you learn something, you do it. Um, and we all expect that from each other, which is, again, absolutely fantastic because it means that um, there's no kind of wasted opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of uh, the majority of the equipment in the practice, again, Dustin and Michael, they they know how to use the majority of it. So they're, they're constantly teaching me. Um, Michael runs a CEREC uh, bootcamp course for Right Global. Um, so again, I have this lovely advantage of um, whilst I can do the CPD, I've also got access to the uh, person who runs the CPD mentoring me and working uh, alongside me. You've got the library. You've got the library. I, I do. I genuinely, I have um, access to a lot of information uh, pretty much right next door to me. Um, uh, and all it, uh, all it takes is a knock on the door and a couple of questions. Um, yes, there's. A, I, I intend to do more courses for sure. Um, I think... Uh, in the future, I'd like to actually. I've got a list here. Let's see. Where, where am I? <laughs> uh, so let's dive into it this a little bit, right? Whilst yeah. you're looking at courses, you know, have there been any particular courses that you feel like you didn't find that was beneficial for you at the time, and would you do it differently next time? Um, yeah. So the courses that didn't really. Uh, that I didn't find a lot of benefit from were pretty much every implant course I ever uh, um, uh, went to. And the simple reason for that is I don't apply it. Uh, to this day, you know, I'm, I'm, I would say that a fifth year dental student knows more about implants than I do. Mm -hmm. um, and the simple reason for it is that I, I you know, I'll go to a course um, and I'll learn the information, but unless you're applying that that clinical knowledge then uh, then and there unless you've got cases um coming up you lose that information very quickly there's so much that we have to apply on a daily basis already just as being a general dentist if you're not actively applying skills it's it's gonna go it's gonna go out the window at least for me it does mm. um would you say that's so, the most challenging part of your dental education uh, applying it yeah. yeah uh well yes and no it's not challenging ultimately it's a matter of what's your priorities so like i said with author it's like jumping down the rabbit hole there's so much to know to learn to to apply 
Um, I've, I've got my hands full with ortho at the moment. Um, I feel like if I tried to delve into implants, I'd probably overload my, my, uh, mind. <laughs> um, and I'm quite happy with the fact that, you know, again, in a, in a, my Disneyland clinic, you know, I've got two clinicians that are very proficient at, um, oral surgery and implants, so I can kind of leave it to them. And there's me and uh, Dr. Wei who does fixed ortho, so they can leave ortho to us. Excuse me. Um, we've got, um, you know, uh, uh, Dr. Jason, who's absolutely fantastic at restorative and absolutely fantastic with kids as well. So we've got people in their little niches already. And whilst I'm actively encouraged by my peers and by my colleagues to take on implant cases, ultimately, I've got to be picky with how much information I can take on um, at any one go. So for me, I want to feel confident with ortho. I want to finish off. Uh, so my mental goal is I, I want to um, finish 10 fixed uh, cases before I even look at restoring implants, let alone placing or anything else. No, that's fair enough. So, you know, as a clinician, we all reach a certain point when we start to contemplate practice ownership, being a specialist or being a super dental GP or even starting a family. Can you share your thoughts on that? Um, I'm a lost soul. <laughs> you tell me what I am and I'll, that's what I'll be. <laughs> okay. Um Starting a family, uh, I need a partner first. Uh, running in my own practice, I've considered it a million times. And every time I work at a clinic where I think um, things could be run a lot better, um, every time I'm in a situation where I don't feel appreciated as an associate or at any kind of negative or anything like that, um, you know, the, the floor crosses my mind. What if I ran my own practice? I've, I've run the numbers um, and... At this point in time, especially if you want to open in Melbourne or Sydney and, um, you know, Melbourne's home for me. So if I was going to do it, it would probably be Melbourne. Um, running, a, running a clinic at this point is as profitable as being a really, really good associate. Um, so then what's the other advantage of running your own clinic? Having clinical autonomy. Well, guess what? I, I work in uh, dental Disneyland. I've got that. Um what about uh, having uh, your own uh, say in materials or equipment? Again, already have that. Um, what about, um, you know, asset building, you know, and yes, you can 100% uh, build your assets, but we have the luxury of uh, most of our, most dentists being uh, commission workers. So we don't really have a ceiling to our income. It's what you're capable of doing. Um, and yes, you could always have people, uh, you can always run um, and manage other people and get other people to, uh, to generate profit or income for you. But uh, running a dental clinic isn't the only way to do that. Um, and when you look at the stress of uh, managing people and overheads and uh, you know, insurances and all the rest of it, dentistry is stressful enough, dude. I, I don't think I, I have the heart or the mind to um take on that additional stress of being a dentist and a business owner so when i look at both the numbers and the physical and mental toll it would take um 
I came to the conclusion that it's not worth my time. So I'm not really looking at uh, cl uh, clinical ownership and that's that's something that everyone who does look at ownership really does need to consider. Uh, what's your main reason for uh, ownership? And if it's, you know, again, if it's a matter of having autonomy over materials and um, uh, clinical work and you can't find a practice where you can be an associate and get that, fair enough. Uh, if it's for profit, then really just look at your clinical dentistry first and make sure that, you know, it, it all lines up. Um, for me, it doesn't make sense. Being a super GP, um, again, it's a matter of uh, how far do you want to go with that? Because um, everyone aims to try and be a, a good dentist or the best they can be. Um, does a super GP to you look like being a jack of all trades? And well, with the description I sent you, I, I mentioned aiming towards being a jack of all trades, but that's not entirely true either. Um, I don't expect to be an expert in endo or uh, an expert uh, in seeing kids. Um, to this day, I'm still really awkward as heck when it comes to seeing kids. Um, but um, it just means that I just want to be the best I I can be um, in every aspect of dentistry. Yeah. Um, I'm the sorry. one that you missed out on answering was about the specialist. Specialing, a special, a specialization. It, it's it's on my mind. Uh, but the problem is I keep changing my mind. Um, so I don't know if you recall, but uh, when I first joined dentistry, um, I, I went in with the goal of being a periodontist. And the specific reason for that was when I was volunteering in Kenya and Tanzania, I came, off, uh, came across quite a number of cases of canker morris. Um, and looking at the specialist teams that were involved with that, you know, you had oral maxillofacial surgeons, plastic surgeons, you had prosthodontists uh, creating the obturator devices and whatnot um, uh, for rehabilitation. And you had periodontists who were involved as well. So that was something that I was considering at one point. Um, and that's, that's kind of where it came off as. Uh, after I graduated and during my first year of practice, I was taking out a lot of teeth you know um it would be anywhere between 50 to 60 a week it was ridiculous um and working with the oral surgeon as well it meant that hmm, maybe i should do oral surgery there is that idea that you said program to to be an oral uh, surgeon so that was on my mind mm -hmm. and then um when I joined up with um, with uh, Sam, again, I was thinking about perio, but then he also got me thinking about cosmetic dentistry, which was a lot more all-inclusive. And that's when I started thinking, oh, okay, so if I really want to apply all these skills, these ortho skills, these pros skills, um, you know, the perio, perio skills, to bring it all together, the surgery skills, um, to be a cosmetic dentist means that you don't, that you know you you can still specialize but then you're kind of narrowing your field and that's when I started to think more like okay what if I was a general dentist that that um kind of uh looked at the bigger picture and so that's kind of where I'm at now um that being said um I've had sedation dentistry thrown at me a couple of times so that's on my mind as well now mm -hmm. um so I, I don't know. <laughs> Not there yet. I don't know watch what the space. answer is. Watch the space, basically. Watch, watch the space. Yeah. Um, but anyone who's 
you know, maybe 50-50 about it. Give it a couple of years. Do some general practice because there's a good chance that you might change your mind. Um, I know with my brother, for example, with prosthodontics, when he graduated, he swore through his teeth that he would never, ever, ever consider being a prosthodontist. And well, here it is now. When I was going through uh, dental school, I swore through my teeth that I would never, ever, ever touch author. And here I am now. So, you know, it's you, you get such a limited idea of uh, what you can or can't do, what you do want to do, what you don't want to do in dental school, and even in your first couple of years of practice. So it does take a, some time and some exposure to really figure out what you want to do. Yeah, I mean, to your point, like it's it, you're shaped by the people who you meet, um, your your mentors, you know, guide you, and their passion will kind of you know pass on to you, and so that can really set you in a different path to what you may have initially planned. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. So, what's the most interesting case you've ever worked on, and what did you learn from it? Um. The most interesting case is 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 one that I'm actually uh, taking on pretty that, that I'm in the middle of, um, and it it's it's the first thing that comes to mind because it's truly an application of everything that I've learned so far. Um, so I've kind of built up a, a fair amount of experience doing uh, injection molding. Um, uh, to the point that you know I'm pretty much smashing out uh, you know resident veneers via injection molding at least uh, once a week, if not once a fortnight, so something along those lines. Um, so we've got that. We've got fixed ortho, and I had to. Um, I actually uh, went back and checked with a couple of my mentors through POS, as well as a couple of the orthodontists that I regularly refer to, um, to get their feedback on this case. Um, and I'm looking at, um, you know, the, the whole principles between prosthodontics, so talking to my brother and uh, full mouth rehabilitation, so talking to Michael about this case. So there's a lot of planning going on and there's a lot of back and forth. And um, sorry, what was your question? <laughs> what was the most interesting case, this being ca the case that you're talking about and what did you learn yes. from it? Um, as far as what I'm going to learn from it, I don't know yet, but it's fantastic in that it is a, to give you some idea of what's going on here, we're talking about an ortho relapse case, which was treated, um, which was initially treated, uh, 15, 16 years ago, uh, using, uh, den uh dentistry principles that we don't apply anymore. So orthodontics uh, in modern day uh, looks at the profile and looks at fitting the ortho around the face. Um, once upon a time, it was fitting the face around the ortho. Um, so he was treated with that principle. And fast forward to nowadays, when we look at the case, we go, mm, yeah, that might not have been the most suitable treatment um, for him here and now. So he's a relapse case and he comes in and he says, just fix it and do exactly what they did in the past and just close up all those spaces and I'll be happy. Um, and we look at that and I, I show it to my mentors and to the other orthodontists and to my brother and to Michael, and we all agree on the same thing. We should not do that. 
if we close all the spaces, we're going to make this bite even deeper. This guy's brocks like he's already wearing down his teeth to kingdom come. Um, his uh, lateral and central, central incisors, they're already worn down to the point that there's only about uh, one millimeter thickness until the pulp is exposed. Um, not a good idea. So uh, instead, what we're doing is a combination of you know, um, um, aligning um, first and then using resin veneer work uh, for a dial appliance and then uh, posterior disclusion and then using ortho so that it's a controlled dial uh, movement and then uh, change, uh, uh, going back to the resin work and changing that back over to porcelain to close spaces to uh, secure the bite. Um, and so this kind of back and forth, it makes me think, oh, if I was an orthodontist, I wouldn't be able to do all of that. I wouldn't really be able to utilize going back and forth. If I was a prosthodontist, I wouldn't be able to utilize the ortho component here. Um, it's just very, very satisfying to put this plan together. And uh, I'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> Again, watch this space. Watch this space. Well, yeah, watch this space. It could, so be, it could be a complete failure. <laughs> so you've mentioned already quite a few people who have been pivotal in your career path so far you know has there been yeah. anyone left that you would like to give a shout out to and why um colleagues such as james tran so he's really good for bouncing ideas off of um i see him maybe once every three or four years but we're constantly messaging each other um about different cases and how to tackle it and it's mostly me just getting whether whatever advice i can from him um james chan's Johan also Choi. a previous guest we've had on this show so if you want to <laughs> find out more about him go check him out too awesome awesome uh johan Choi and bar agrawal more recently when i attended their uh stratum bxy course um and you know the they're constantly updating you with uh cases and the everyone who attends their courses they're all put into a group chat together so we're constantly bouncing off of each other as well and that's really lovely to see that they create this kind of community that can do that um um and again just really good banter with johan um you actually um i'd give a shout out to you because uh, like, look, out of all the people uh, that uh, we graduated with, uh, there's very few people that I actually keep in touch with. And even though, it, when was the last time we met in person? It was uh, many years ago. Yeah. Despite that, we're still constantly in touch thanks to, you know, Instagram. Um, and it's always just good to, again, just bounce, uh, bounce ideas off of or just to talk dentistry. Um, and it's always nice to have people, you know, surround, be surrounded by people, whether it's in person or virtually, um, to, to talk about dentistry with, to talk about your passions with. Yeah. Um, I don't know how to answer that, but thank you so much. I feel the same way about it. I'm sure we'll be leaning on each other more, uh, you know. Um, so, you know, look, there's a lot of struggles that we have in CPD or in our dental journey, you know. Um, yep. Are there any particular ones that you would, you know, some of our viewers might not know about that you're happy to share with us? Are there any, what, sorry? Any particular, have there been any particular struggles in your dental journey so far that some of our viewers might not know about that you're happy to share with us? Um, 
not well i can't say in particular detail but uh um make sure that when you pick your practice that uh, that that you work for you really do your due diligence um so there are plenty of jobs available uh the more dentists that are being pumped out the more clinics that are opening so there's always going to be heaps of jobs available but there is a difference between heaps of jobs available and heaps of good quality jobs available um and it's not up to the clinic uh, the clinic to determine um where an associate goes it's up to the associate to determine where the associate goes um so that means that you look at your contract um and if there's any problems or issues or concerns that you have um you bring it up with the with the clinic owner or the practice manager and if they're not willing to answer those questions that should raise a flag for you um you should be um willing to they they should be uh willing and open for you to review uh, contracts and go to a lawyer as well in terms of uh mentorship you need to have a clear idea in your mind what exactly does mentorship look like because it's all well and good every associate that uh goes out to interview they always say uh I'm after mentorship but 9 times out of 10 they can't actually tell you what does that actually mean so have a clear defined image so that might mean that you want someone to go through every single case with you that might mean you want someone to pick a random case and go through with it uh go through uh that case with you once a week it might mean that you just need someone to us that is has an open door policy um and is ready for you to uh ask a million and one questions and can answer uh, give you a million and one answers it might mean that you need someone to you know give you an assignment and to to work through that together that's different for everyone but you need to figure out what it means for you and make sure that wherever you're working can deliver that or if you can't find that in the clinic itself that you have an external source that can provide that mentorship that you're after yeah um i think i think you i mean you you beat me to the question you beat me to the question so which leads me to my next question which is um what's your mentoring style oh okay <laughs> um uh swear words allowed i don't know <laughs> um really really bad sense of humor um it's it really try, it really depends on the on the student or i guess currently my let mentor me it. let me reframe yeah. it for you so obviously you're 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 mentoring you know um uh, at the university right I mean yeah. you've got different you've got different students coming out to you you know either um you know asking you for advice and stuff like that you know what mm. would you hope that they could do to get the most out of you you know what would what would you like them to do would you like them to ask you more questions more frequently you know would you like them to go and study more and then come back to you so you know um I'm just I'm just spitting here but like yeah you get um, like I think my my pet peeve is when they have no answer to a question or they look blankly at you and say i don't know what do i do um 
which is very typical of what you know it's very you know, typical yeah of what is it's very typical I mean, you and me when we're sitting there we're probably doing the same thing we would rather be spoon-fed the information as yeah. to you know yeah. come out with you but yes i would much rather you give me 101 wrong answers than look at me with a blank a blank face so um you know when i ask for a differential diagnosis Give me your, your all of your potential diagnoses and give me the rationale or the logic behind it, because that way we can then correct the logic and, and go through that together. Uh, whenever I do mentor um, with these kind of cases uh, in clinic, it's it's a matter of just looking at the, the logic behind something. So uh, um, a good example is... Um, Matrix, matrix, matrix. <laughs> Using matrixes, matrices. Oh my gosh, my English is going to For our well. audio listeners, he didn't just pass out and then just, you know, just come back. But um, yeah. Oh no. Um, so I'm going to rewind. Uh, I'm going to talk about a case. Uh, I'm going to talk about uh, something that I taught the second years. So they looked at me um, and they asked me, what's the ideal um, matrixing for a canine? Um, and I asked them, okay, what's the aim or the goal or the logic with using a sectional matrix? Uh, why do we usually use that for posterior teeth? And the aim or the goal is to create a circular or almost a square-shaped kind of contact area. Um, whereas with anterior teeth, we usually use, uh, we can use sectional matrices as well in a, a vertical direction um, or use a, a clear strips. But we're aiming, uh, the goal there is to create a, a ovoid or a rectangular shaped uh, contact area, right? So your canine is kind of like your, your upper canine is kind of like your transitional tooth where you've got one side that's posterior and you've got one side that's anterior. So then the ideal answer for matrixing for a canine is, you know, uh, in an ideal, you know, situation with a Frasaco or Columbia model um, is using a sectional matrix on the distal and using a, a, a you know, a clear strip uh, on the mesial or using the sectional in a vertical direction on the mesial. So that's the, it's, it's kind of like talking about the, the logic behind things as opposed to just spoon feeding answers. And, um, in terms of outside of uh, dental school, um, when I'm mentoring groups, that uh, in those settings, we're usually in a cafe, um, you know, having a bit of brunch, and on my laptop, and I'm usually kind of pointing it away from the general public because no one wants to look at teeth when they come to a cafe, um, except for dental students. Um, I'll chuck on a couple of cases, and we'll just smash through it. And the usual style there is just here's a bunch of uh, pictures. Um, Give me the problem list. Give me what the solution would be. Then we can work out how do we get that solution? What can we do to, to achieve that solution? Yeah. And did you kind of figure out that that's your mentoring style? You know, did you stumble across it after, you know, trying to figure it out earlier on when you were, you know, looking at four different mentors? Um, yes. It's also kind of how I... Where I mean, that's just how we were taught. Uh, it's it's we sorry, with our ILAs always of the audio. Can you repeat that again? Oh, sorry. Um, my brain's going to mush. I'll repeat um, the question. I'll repeat the question. So let's say I mean, would you say you 
how did you kind of develop that style? Did it change from when you first started because of the different mentors that you kind of came across or? Yes. Yeah. That hundred percent changed as each mentor came by um, uh, looking at what uh, worked well for me with Sam, looking at what worked well for me with my brother, what looking at what worked well uh, with Michael and Dustin, um, Dustin being my current influence and he's a, you know, the, uh, person that I'll go to at the end of the day and just throw a whole bunch of cases at and he'll throw, uh, you know, ask me a million and one questions. And also looking at my own learning style. So did I retain knowledge and information if the information was spoon-fed to me or did I retain the knowledge and information if I struggled to come to the answer? Um, and the answer is when you struggle, you you memorize that information so much more. So I'll throw I'll, I'll throw um, problems at students, and I'll ask and I'll ask them a million and one questions, and I'll try and guide them towards the the appropriate or the most ideal answer. But very rarely will I actually give the the answer right from the get go. Um, if someone turns around um, and says, "What would you do in this situation?" I would turn around and ask the student what would you do? And they'd say, oh, I, I need this information. It's like, okay, cool. How would you get that information? Oh, I'd uh, do a cold test. I'd do a, you know, a percussion. I'd take a PA. I'm like, good answer. Go do it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair enough. Um, I want to pivot a little bit. You were part of the ADA South Australia recent graduate committee at one point, you know. What well, are you getting up to or what achievements are you most proud of? Um, so I've been a part of the recent graduates committee for the past two years. Um, I'll be honest, uh, the first year that I, I was with them, actually two and a half years now, um, the first year that I was with them, I was working mostly rural essay. So I didn't actually get to participate, participate very much, except for the occasional, uh, zoom call in and say, hello, do you need quorum? Cool. I'll put my hand up. <laughs> um, the the following years though is uh, it's it's been more along the lines of just uh, attendance and um, just really getting the word out there that you know there is a uh, um, association almost like a, a union for dentists that's avail uh, that's available to us and provides a lot of support um, in terms of CPD and education in terms of you know if you're a part of uh, guild insurance and indemnity they've got a lot of support there in terms of uh, professional networking and especially when you first graduate and especially if you move into say so, you know, we, you know, you're originally from Sydney, I'm originally from Melbourne, but we trained in Adelaide, which meant that when we moved back to our respective states, uh, we didn't have as much of a professional network readily available to us as those who would have trained locally in the state. Mm -hmm. um, having ADA um, as, a, as a branch and a committee that you could then go back to just meant that you instantly had a network and resource available to you to then look up uh, specialists and, and uh talk to other colleagues or other dentists that are maybe a few years out and having a mentorship readily available or having people that you can at least talk to readily available to you. That's fair enough. So a lot of our listeners, you know, are young and hungry dentists who are trying to achieve large goals, you know. So I want to ask you, what success looks like for you, for yourself in the future? 
At this point, I have absolutely no idea because I'm a lost soul. <laughs> success. <laughs> um, success at this point um, looks like uh, having a. So, if we're talking about financial success, then it's a diversified uh, portfolio. So, not using dentistry as your only source of income, which uh, became blaringly obvious uh, during the pandemic and during lockdowns. Um, uh, in terms of uh, clinical success, it's um, being confident enough to to know what my scope of practice is. I'm still figuring that out. I'm still taking on challenges. And when things get a little bit hairy, calling Michael or Dustin in to bail me out um, or, to, or referring to a specialist when need be. So being able to go, no, that is a case outside of my wheelhouse I'm referring straight away versus, oh, let's see how we go. You know, the, the, having that, that understanding of your own limitations and scope, that's fantastic to me. Um, being more confident, seeing kids. <laughs> um, well, I mean, you're dealing in the realm of orthodontics, big orthodontics for that as well. Naturally, you would yeah. have to have to deal with kids. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, look, that's actually helping me build up my confidence a lot more because um, what you have to do in fixed ortho, um, uh, you know, tightening wires and, and, and you know, bending wires into into brackets, it, it does it create a little bit of soreness and discomfort with uh, with your kids. So um, being better at managing that is um, uh, is absolutely essential, and it's it's something that I'm uh, building up my skill with. Um, in terms of uh, social, uh, as a social or a family and uh, uh, success, it's achieving that work-life balance. I don't think I'm at, I'm at that point yet, especially working around uh, including studying and mentorship and everything else. Um, I, I think I devote about seventy hours uh, a week to to dentistry, um, so I'd like to drag that back down a fair bit. And I know I'm, I'm talking to you who devotes a lot of your time outside of clinic to dentistry as well. <laughs> but, um, we can oh. say that for another episode. Yeah. But, so um, do you have any wise, I mean, just, I mean, just to wrap it all up, do you have any wise words of wisdom for the bunny young dentist? You know, what do you think are the key skills and attributes that they should focus on developing? Communication. 100% communication and photography. Um, we're in a more litigious world where documentation is everything. So more photography, the better, the better quality photography, the better. Um, and in terms of communication, if you can deliver a treatment plan, now it doesn't mean that you're going to be providing all the services as part of that treatment plan, but if you can deliver a good holistic, uh, holistic in the sense of everything to do with the mouth, uh, treatment plan, your patients will appreciate and love you so much more for it. And you will gain um, a lot more clinical experience that way. Um, that will open up more uh, avenues for you. That will uh, create more opportunities for you to learn what you want to do, what you can and can't do. But if you don't have the communication uh, in the first place, you don't get the clinical experience and nothing else follows. Mm. That's a good point. So one of the things, you know, as graduates, we struggle to find the right practice to work at, you know, what are the one of the ways that you find helpful in finding um, the right practice? 
So for me, I've always found it really, really handy to be able to interview the interviewer. So, I mean, well, when we go into an interview, the aim of the game is for the clinical, uh, for the clinic to find their ideal associate. But it's just as important, if not more, well, for yourself anyways, to find the ideal practice for you to work in. So um, making sure that you, again, understand the right kind of questions and what you're really after. Do you want uh, the right kind of mentorship? Do you want the right kind of facilities available? Do you want um, an, a, another associate or a senior clinician to be working uh, next to you? Uh, what kind of fees uh, are you uh, willing to work, uh, work with? And um, what can you uh, back yourself up with? Um, so get, getting all of those answers, uh, understanding what's ideal for yourself, understanding what's uh, industry standard, that's really, really important. And then being able to fire those questions confidently and practice in the mirror while you're doing that. But firing those uh, those uh, those questions confidently at your um, interviewer, um, be absolutely certain and be ready to, um, uh, to find out whether that practice is suitable for you. And again, um, know what the red flags are. So for me, if a, if a practice owner ever turns around and goes, that's not important, well, I know that my values and theirs don't align. If they ever turn around and say, um, I'm not willing to negotiate on any of uh, any of the above, then I know that I have no leeway. Be, don't be afraid to push the boundaries a little bit as well, because ultimately, um, if someone's really hard in their ways in terms of my way or the highway, is that a practice that you're willing to work in? Is that something that you're flexible with? And if you're not, then you already know what your answer is. Yeah, but Dr. Neil, like sometimes when I'm a new graduate, right, I have no experience. I'm just looking for work and I just want to get my hands wet. And I don't want to be waiting forever looking for the right practice I mean, I don't feel confident. Like, how do I, how do I, you know, but I know what, but I know or don't know what I want. How do I find what I want? Most I don't know like I know myself sometimes is what yeah. a graduate would say. Okay. Well, I mean, most new graduates, you know, want to get experience, right? So then the question is, what kind of uh, clinical work are they offering um, uh, for the new graduate to take on? And if they have any Kind of limitations or restrictions then you know that it's not a it's probably not a practice for you um where they're already filtering out what work you can or can't do um if you if it's all about experience for you and that's your priority that's fine ask to look at the books and if they're not willing to show you the books again that that should be a sign to you that you're not going to get that experience at, at that practice or at the clinic um so what? figure out the metrics. I'm not saying wait until you find the uh, wait forever um, for the right opportunity, but I'm saying don't jump into things. Do your do your research, do your investigation, because ultimately um, where you work is your second home. You want to be happy where you're working. Yeah. No, for, for, for ourselves, like, and for myself, one of the things I've found that really helps for me. It's kind of, and I put this analogy to some of the other people that asked me is kind of like, you're looking for the partner, right? You know, you, you got to meet them, meet a few people, and then you got to go on a few dates with them, which are, what I mean is like, you probably, and this is probably a bad analogy, but basically 
yeah, you had the initial discussion, you know, things are looking kind of okay, but you're not sure if you're fully committed for this, um, this kind of, um, this job. So no, you, you go on a few more dates. And what I mean by that is like, you might go there, spend a few days, observe the yes. practice, see how they run. And yeah. if that works for you um, and you get an opportunity to see how they do it, or even talk to some of the other associates that are there. And if that works for you, then great. Then, you know, this is a better fit, but if it doesn't, then you, know, you carry on. Absolutely. And that's when you can also ask them questions about the cases that they're seeing then and there. And if they mentor and if they talk about those cases and try and teach and mentor you, and it's a mentor style that you can appreciate um, uh, then and there, then you are, you already know that they're a good fit as a mentor um, in terms of clinical experience and the rest of it. But if they say, no, nah, this is just how I do things and don't really elaborate further, you're already getting a bit of a taste of what it's going to be like working for them in the long run. Yeah. Um, in terms of also following through with what you're saying in terms of the second and the third date, um, it may be worthwhile having a second interview with them. It may be worthwhile spending a, a day or two in their practice. Um, and going back to contracts as well, it's worthwhile making sure that you're reviewing through your contracts uh, fully and, uh, and, and well. Don't sign on the day. Uh, take the chance to, to compare with your colleagues or with another senior clinician before you um, jump into anything. Yeah, definitely. You say definitely seek some professional opinion beforehand, eh? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Dr. Vanille, thank you for coming on the show today. If you get there, let the people know how they can find you. Um, best is Instagram uh, at dr.vanille. Um, I also have one YouTube video. Uh, by all means, look it up if you um, uh, want to learn how to brush your teeth or if you want your patients to not hit back with that excuse of, uh, I forgot everything you told me about how to brush my teeth. Um, so that's, uh, again, uh, DR Vanille, uh, Dr. Vanille. Um, and I do have one or two uh, videos on TikTok. Um, and that's at a, a, a punny dentist. If you like this episode, drop a comment below on your favorite part or leave a review. Don't forget to share it with your friends. And we'll see you in the next episode of CP Junkie Podcast.